0: We're going to look at a little bit unorthodox question this evening, namely, must a Christian be circumcised? I know that sounds like a weird thing uh, to uh, ask uh, to a New Testament group of believers, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and answer the question, and the answer to the question is yes. Every Christian, whether he is a he or whether she is a she, must be circumcised, just not in the way you're initially thinking Genesis chapter 17 and let's look at God's covenant with Abraham when Abram was 99 years old the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised be circumcised, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Father, we pray that you'll be with us in word, in spirit, and in truth for these few minutes that we're gathered together here tonight. It's always a good thing to be among God's people, and it's always a great thing to be in your word. And so we pray that you'll illumine our hearts, that we might be edified, strengthened, and encouraged to live more effectively on mission in our city, our state, and around the world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the decisions that we as parents had to make, Judy and I, and many of you as well, and parents even today, and we've got a bunch of them at Hillcrest. I think at our next baby dedication at Hillcrest, which is, I think, the second Sunday of September, we are dedicating something like 19 or 20 babies at Hillcrest. That's unbelievable uh, in one baby dedication service. And so there's a baby boom in Hillcrest. I don't know. You probably should have drank sweet tea tonight because some's in the water at Hillcrest. So you better be very careful. And if those children, of course, are boys, you have to make a decision whether or not to circumcise them. Uh, The American Society of Pediatrics is neutral on the issue. In fact, if you write to them and ask them, they'll just give you a list of pros and cons and tell you that the choice is yours. I was surprised uh, to learn that around the world, only about one out of every ten boys is circumcised. Only about 10% of boys around the world uh, are circumcised. In the United States, that number gravitates between 50 and 60%. Now, most of you here tonight, I'm sure, are aware that circumcision began with the Jew. Circumcision is thoroughgoingly Jewish. And you see its beginnings right here in the 17th chapter of Genesis. God had already established a covenant with Abraham back in chapter 15. It was an unbreakable, unshakable, unilateral covenant that God himself initiated and made with his chosen man, a man up to this point in Scripture anyway, we have known as Abram. God had promised to bless him nationally. He said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. God had promised to bless Abram personally. He said, I will make your name great. God had promised to bless Abram relationally. You will be a blessing to others through my blessing to you, God told him. And then God, of course, had promised to bless Abram spatially. To your descendants, I will give this land. So God's unbreakable, unshakable, unilateral, unqualified covenant with Abraham was a promise to bless him nationally, personally, relationally, and spatially. And of course, as he does with most of the covenants that he makes, God seals the covenant with a sign. God makes covenant with Noah. He seals it with a sign. And what was the sign God gave to establish his covenant with Noah and his progeny? It was the rainbow. That's right. God makes covenant with Moses later on, some 400 years after this event. And what is the sign and the seal that God gives to Moses? It was, of course, the Sabbath day. This was something that was unique to the Jews. On the seventh day, you're to do no what? No work. Everybody around them would be working. They would be stretched out, relaxing, napping, enjoying life together. And that would set them apart as unique as a sign that they were exclusive unto God. And, of course, here the sign of God's covenant with Abram, is, of course, the sign of circumcision. Again, verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be what? Circumcised. Circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. So speaking of between you and me, what in the world does that have to do with you and me? Well, I'm glad that you asked that question because we are going to address the question of circumcision as it relates to a believer today. As I said a moment ago, the answer to the question, must a Christian be circumcised, is yes, just not in the flesh. There's more than one way to look at circumcision from the perspective of Scripture. And to understand that, you have to, of course, come to the New Testament And notice what Paul says in his letter to the Romans, Romans 2, beginning in verse 28. Let's check it out. For no one is a Jew who is merely one, how? Outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and what? Physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So you understand what Paul is saying there? He's saying that circumcision is indeed absolutely necessary for anybody who wants to have a relationship with God. But it's not a circumcision of the flesh that matters anymore. That's something that's relegated to the Jew. Physical circumcision went away with the coming of Christ. Everybody understand me? Say amen. That doesn't mean you can't get circumcised. What does it mean you shouldn't circumcise your baby boy if you want to do that? It's just no longer required to do that fleshly and physically from the perspective of the Bible. What we're talking about is something significantly more important, and that is a circumcision of the heart, to use Paul's phrase here. So here's the question tonight Have you been circumcised in the right place? And have you been circumcised? In the right way, not as a condition of the law or as a matter of the law in any particular part of your flesh. That's not what we're talking about. But Have you been circumcised by the Spirit of God through faith in your heart? How do you know if that's happened? Well, that's what we want to get at tonight. I know I've been served. There are ways to tell that you've been circumcised in the heart by the Spirit of God. First of all, the scripture says when that happens, you receive a new nature. Do you have a new nature? The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things have what? Passed away. All things have become new. How do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you truly belong to God? There's really only one way to know it. C H A N-G-E. What's that spell? Change. Has there been a change in your life? What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have life in my soul for which long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. And that change is obvious, not complete at salvation, Because you and I, once we're saved, have a lot of growing up to do. Isn't that right? But one thing God does change instantaneously, as I've said before, is He changes your want to. He changes your desire. Not everything about your life will change overnight once you submit your life to Christ as Savior and Lord. But I believe what does change is your want to. And if the want to doesn't change, if you're just content to say, Oh Lord, I need to be saved, and I don't want to go to hell when I die, and you turn right away from that and go right back to living the same old way with the same old selfishness, the same old me first, the same old fleshly desires. I'm on the edge here, but I'm willing to say it. You probably have not been born again because when you've been born again, desires change. You have a new nature. The Spirit of God moves into your heart. He takes up residence in your life. And one thing I've found from my own personal journey with the Lord, the Spirit of God will not settle well in a dirty house. So you're going to know it when your life is impure and when your life is not clean. And you're not going to like it one bit. And you're going to want to fly back to God. And you're going to want to repent. So the telltale sign that you've been circumcised in the heart, which is just another way to say you've been born again, or you've been saved is by the change of desire that comes through the new nature of the indwelling spirit of God in the life of everyone who knows Christ by faith. The purpose of circumcision for people like Abraham and his children to follow was that it was a mark of separation. It was a mark of identity. That fleshly mark symbolized that they were unique. Nobody else had it. And uh, it signified them as a possession of God it marked them it served not only as a sign but as a seal that they belonged to God now for us today that sign and that seal outwardly is no longer circumcision what is it today it's baptism baptism functions in the same way it's an outward sign of an inward seal that I now belong to God And that fleshly seal back in the Old Testament that belonged to the Jew was a sign of God's covenant. It was a sign that God had made a contract with them. And typically when you execute a contract today, do you not have to put a seal on it somewhere? Can I have an amen tonight? It may not be a seal of wax, but it's a seal of ink. It's either a signature or a witness mark or a notary's stamp. Everybody tracking with me? If it's a genuine contract, it's going to be authenticated by a seal of some kind. And that was why circumcision was important here and how it functioned. Thirteen years ago, when Judy and I moved to Pensacola, the moving company came into our home where we were living at the time. And the first thing they did was they took these little sheets of stickers and put them on everything. They marked everything, put a number on everything. And that sticker... And the numbers that were on them were visible signs that those possessions belonged to Jim and Judy. They weren't somebody else's. They belonged to us. And likewise, that circumcision... It was a sign that the Jews were the very people of God, an obvious sign that he was setting them apart as his precious possession, his very own unique among all the peoples of the earth. So, I mean, it's an interesting thing because that's God literally carving his ownership, his lordship into the very flesh of those people. Now, again, we're not obligated to follow that, uh, that prescription. In fact, The New Testament's got quite a bit to say about that. We've talked a little bit about circumcision. It was a big issue back in the book of Acts in the days of the early church where some were teaching that you did have to be physically circumcised in order to be born again. And that's what got the Apostle Paul so up in arms, so to speak, and got him going down with Barnabas to call a council in Jerusalem to address this assault, this frontal assault on the gospel of grace that he'd been called to preach. And, of course, the Jerusalem Council eventually came forth with an edict that said, no, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to first become Jews in order to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul would write to the Galatians, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision circumcision, nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only what said out loud, Amen. only faith. See, this is what Paul was preaching. Circumcision doesn't amount to anything in terms of the gospel of grace, not anymore, because Christ has came, has come, and in his coming, he's fulfilled it. So neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters in the flesh. Only faith, working itself through what. Love, change, faith working through love. Where there is no working through love, there is no presence of genuine faith. That's right. In other words, you're going to be be able to tell where there is the presence of genuine faith. There will be fruit, the chief of which is love. Colossians 2 and verse 11 says something similar. In him also you were circumcised. With a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of whom? Of Christ. In other words, see, your heart gets circumcised the day Jesus moves in it. And the day Jesus moves in it is the day you surrender to him by faith. Everybody tracking with me? Amen. All right? So, that's the seal of our salvation today. It's not an external cutting. It's an internal counselor. The Holy Spirit of God performs radical surgery on our hearts, rids it of sin, then moves into it in order to ensure that it stays clean from now until the time we're face to face with God. Back in the day of the Jew, a man demonstrated that he belonged to God because it was on his flesh. Today, we demonstrate we belong to God through an obvious changed life inward faith resulting in outward evidence and if there's no difference in the way you live today compared to back then there's no difference in action no difference in reaction position disposition then you've probably never been spiritually circumcised and you need a radical cutting of the heart which is just another way of saying you need to be saved because the circumcised life is marked by a new nature, a changed life. And that uh, leads not only uh, to the realization that our actions change, and the reasons that our actions change is because not only do we have a new nature, we also wear a new name, which is a second mark of a circumcised life, a new nature and a new name. And for a believer, of course, you should know that when all things become new, that includes your name, Uh, you get a brand new name that's better designed to reflect your brand new character. In fact, something, I don't know if you noticed it as we were reading, and hopefully you were paying attention rather than planning your next vacation, but when we were reading, we noticed that something dramatic changed in the life of this very important couple that we know by faith, Abraham and Sarah. What changed about them? Aha, they got new names, didn't they? And their new names were changed intentionally by God to reflect what he wanted to become a brand new character outside of their life. Up to this point, you've probably noticed that uh, Abraham and Sarah both have kind of demonstrated a bit of checkered character along the way. They've not been real consistent, have they, in their walk of faith. And God wants that to change. And so the Bible says here in Genesis 17 and 1, when Abraham was 99 years old. Anybody here 99? I'm just curious. Anybody here feel like they're 99? Would you raise? Okay, my hands raised too. Yeah. I was in the doctor's office with my boy uh, for uh, about an hour this afternoon. And uh, there was an African-American couple that came in. And he sat down and he was... Chawing with another senior adult. I was sitting down here and they were in and they were all the rage as they were coming in. And this didn't have anything to do with the message other than the fact it kind of relates to I don't know if the guy was 99. He may have been 98. Uh, And uh, he looked at this guy sitting across. They were chit chatting. And the friend asked the gentleman with his wife, How long have y'all been married? And he looked at him and he said, 75 years. <laughs> and that got my attention real fast. He said, I was in World War II. I joined in 1942, just after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And I mean my, I was leaning in to this precious man and his wife. Who, the wife didn't say a word the whole time. Uh, but he was very proud of his service and he was proud of his wife. And uh, he had lived a full life, and they were at the doctor making sure they made it to 100, I would imagine. Sweet people. Well, here's Abraham, 99 years old. He'd been through a couple of battles himself, hadn't he? And when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. He still went by the name Abram, which was his pagan name, the name that he came out of Ur with. And he said to him, God did, I am God Almighty. That's the first time God is using that particular name to refer to himself. And so it's interesting, God refers to himself with a new name, El Shaddai. You remember the Amy Grant song from years ago, right? Used to sing it as specials in church, El Shaddai, er kona Adonai. And that's what this word is, God Almighty, So God introduces himself to Abraham. He'd already talked to Abraham hundreds of times. Now he uses a brand new name, Abraham's 99, still learning about the Lord. There's a sermon right there. You never get too old to stop learning about what it means to know God and to follow Christ. So Abraham learns a new name for God at 99 And God starts to give him commands at 99. Walk before me and be blameless. And then the next thing God does as he's introduced himself to Abram with a new name is he gives Abram and Sarai brand new names. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram. Anybody know what Abram means? exalted father. And the reason God didn't want him to have that name anymore is because he didn't want anybody else to be exalted father. Thou shalt have no other gods before I'm exalted father. I am El Shaddai. No longer shall your name be Abram, exalted father. That might have worked for you in a pagan land like Ur. But I got a new thing. Your name shall be Abraham father of many father of many which is what he was becoming I will make your name great and you shall be a father of men your descendants shall outnumber the grains of the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky I have made you the father of multitude of nations and again down in verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, I've been calling her Sarah because ain't nobody called Sarai today, but that was her name before this, Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. Anybody know what that means? Contentious. Why would anybody name their daughter contentious unless they've just... Maybe they're living with a woman like that. I don't know. I'm going to name you after your mama is what I'm going to do. I don't know. I mean, names matter. We tend to, and I've had that. I I can't call a specific example, but I have a little bit of a gift for languages and Uh, And a love for languages. And sometimes I'll know what certain names mean. And I've known couples through the years that have named their child a certain name. And it's like, why did you do that? Don't you know that that name means prickly? I mean, do do some simple homework. But we like the way it sounds, you know. We just don't really know what it means. Well, her name meant contentious. But he says, now you're going to change it to Sarah. Which means... Princess, that's right. Isn't that better? Now, we know a lot of, you know, young girls named Sarah, and that's a really great name. Sarah, princess, shall be her name. So God shows up, he reveals himself with a new name, and then he confronts the old Abram and the old Sarai and says, you know what, those names don't measure up for who I'm calling you to be through this covenant. You know, the self-centeredness that we've seen from your past, that won't do any more. Self-sufficiency—it's not going to do anymore. It's time for a change, and so this is the first mark of a circumcised life. You get a new character, marked by a new name to match. Did you know that you get a new name the moment that you're saved? You know what it is, Christian. Christian. That's Locke is not my last name. Christian is my last name. Jim Locke Christian, and it's your last name if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we've seen this in some weeks back in our study of Acts, Acts eleven twenty six. 26. The disciples were first called what? Christians at Antioch. And it's interesting that that wasn't something that God said you'll call yourselves. They tended to call themselves disciples. The outside world who observed them called them what? Right, it was the, it was the, the Gentile world observing how they acted and observing what they taught about Christ and seeing how what they taught about Christ matched with how they lived their life, they tagged them with what we call in linguistics a diminutive. Jimmy is a diminutive, little Jim, right? Christian is a diminutive, little Christ. And that's the way that they tagged them. Some say it was a pejorative in other words, that it was a kind of a joke, there go those Christians, and it may have been to some degree, but it could also obviously be a mark of high honor. They're people who look like the Lord that they profess. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I'll tell you what, they believe what they preach and they live like what they preach. And so they tag them as these little Christ because they made the connection. And that's what the word Christian is. It, the, the concept implies a connection to the real thing. So if I call you a Floridian, what does that mean? You live in Florida, right? There's a connection there. You're connected to Florida. If I call you an American, that implies something. You're connected to the stars and stripes. Land of the free, home of the brave, right? Right? Same with Christian. You're connected to Christ. That's what it's supposed to mean. Now, you and I know there are a lot of people that call themselves Christian. There ain't no such thing. They're what we call cultural Christians. If you pin them to the wall, what's your religion? Oh, I'm Christian. Why are you Christian? Because I celebrate Christmas. I go to church on Easter Sunday. Sunday. I give a little money to the Baptist hospital, right? So I must be a Christian. Well, I believe Christ. I believe he died on the cross. And so we've kind of diluted the concept to this cognitive belief or to this generalized association where any and everybody can be one just by self-identifying as one because that's what daddy was or that's what granddaddy was and There really is no change of life. There's been no transformation. There's been no circumcision of the heart. People can often associate Christianity with patriotism. Why are you a Christian? Well, because I'm a proud American. That doesn't make anybody a Christian. Right? But a lot of people think it does. So we wrap the Bible in an American flag. No, that doesn't make a believer. And so... These early believers in the book of Acts were tagged with that name because their actions and their character reflected the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian is somebody that's connected to Christ and through that connection looks, lives, speaks, acts, reacts, and worships like Christ. Everybody tracking with me? So this is the mark of circumcision, genuine circumcision of the heart. I have a new identity. I wear a new name. It changes the way I live. With that in mind, that's the third thing. I know I've been circumcised because now I'm motivated by a new purpose. I live with a biblical worldview. This coming Sunday, I'm preaching from my favorite text in the entire book of Acts, all 28 chapters. Paul is at Athens in Greece. It's just magisterial. In fact, I'm going to do it over two Sundays. It's so rich. And the thing about it is, we're going to look Sunday. Here's Paul in Athens. I'm not careful. I'll start preaching the sermon tonight. (laughs) The the most culturally rich city on the planet. Historically, it's older than Rome. And... uh, As far as we know, Paul was the only Christian there. I want you to think about that a minute. He's the only one. What would you do if you were the only Christian in the city of Pensacola? The only one. Just think about that. Come back on Sunday and we'll talk about it. Paul was the only one there with what I call a Christian worldview. Worldview how you see life, your understanding of God, your understanding of life, your understanding of eternity, your understanding of death, your understanding of the purpose and the motivation for living, who I am, who God is, why I'm here, why I matter, where truth comes from, the Bible. All of that makes up what we call a Christian worldview. And the way, one of the ways, anyway, that you know that you've been circumcised Born again, saved, circumcised of the heart is through the lens by which you filter everything that happens in life. I live now with a brand new purpose. I'm motivated now not to bring glory to myself, but to bring honor and glory to God. Which means my purpose is bound up in this singular concept that we talk about a lot. Namely, obedience. That's how you know that you've been circumcised to the heart. You obey the commands of Christ. Now, remember, for the Jews, circumcision was not an option. The flesh had to get cut for the guys. Covenant people have to bear the mark of the covenant. And that was even true for Jesus, who was a Jew. And you can read about it there in the Gospel of Luke. What did his mother and his earthly father, Mary and Joseph, what did they do when Jesus was eight days old? Took him to the temple. For what purpose? Circumcised I tell you, it's better on all males to be circumcised at eight days as opposed to eight years or 18 years or 80 years. Somebody say amen because they don't remember it. And that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to refuse to do that, to refuse to bear the mark of God, man, that was just being contemptuous of the covenant. In fact, down in verse 14, a person who openly refused to be circumcised was to be basically kicked out of the camp, cut off from the people. So obviously, how Abraham responds to this. Now, Abraham is 99 years old. And the Lord's basically saying, you're going to be the first to go under the knife. And we're all kind of going, all right, what's he going to do? You know. And so his response is really important. Verse 23, then Abram took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him now what you need to notice there not only is what he did but what abraham didn't do which is what we're so prone to do what did he not do he did not argue with god anybody here ever argued with god he did not debate He didn't talk about gender. What about the women? Didn't come up? I would have been talking about the women. It's a new day, Lord. You know, there's a movement now called Me Too, you know. What about the women? No, he didn't debate gender equity. He didn't argue the health risk. Don't you know we don't have any rubbing alcohol out here? In the middle of this dry land? No, he didn't negotiate. He didn't threaten because he didn't like it. He stood. Remember, he just got introduced to a new name, El Shaddai, God Almighty. And he recognized that this Lord really is his authority. And his immediate response is not hesitation, but activation. Instant obedience. That very day. Say that together with me. That very, say it again, that very day he circumcised all of his male folk. Notice 1 John 2 and verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. Judy and I were at an international mission board commissioning ceremony. I've had the privilege to be in a number of them through the years. And we were at one years ago in the state of Illinois. And um, if you've ever seen, we had one here at Hillcrest back in 2006. And um, you know, there's a number of missionary couples, sometimes they're single adults. And uh, there's a time in the commissioning ceremony when they come out and stand in front of a microphone. They're couples, they come out together. And sometimes they may be going to a secure area and so they come out in the darkness and they don't give their last name. But they'll come out typically and they'll introduce themselves and they'll say who they are and where they're from and what their sending church is. And they'll talk a little bit about what God has done in their life and then they'll introduce where they're going and where they're planning to serve. And I remember at one point there was a young couple that stepped up to share. She was a, a Caucasian American, but her husband was obviously Oriental, Asian. And he introduced himself and began to share a little bit of his story. It turned out he was Cambodian. And he talked about how his family had fled the killing fields of Cambodia. When Pol Pot was the dictator there for many years, he fled there with his family when he was eight years old and they somehow managed to get out of the country and eventually managed to migrate to America, this great land of freedom and opportunity where his father began a brand new life in business and established himself and they started over. And of all things, that young man here was exposed to something that he never was exposed to in Cambodia, namely the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was saved. And through faith in Christ, he found a new kind of freedom. And so he said, you know, I felt like I've been born three times. I was born the first time, and then I got reborn when we became Americans, and then I got born again. He said, I like being born. I'm being born again all the time, it seems like. But he was exposed to the gospel. And the last thing he said was, and now we're going back to take the life-changing message of Jesus Christ to my people in Cambodia. You know, most people who migrate to the United States never leave the United States. And many of them come here thinking, well, I'm just going to go and get educated and I'm going to go back and change. They almost never go back. And we know why. Who would want to? Right? Most blessed nation on the planet. Who would want to leave? And yet, the Lord looked at that man and said, The country from which your father fled, I'm now sending you back there. He said at first he didn't want to go. But the Lord had called. And he realized he was under the authority of, of a master and when God calls if he is truly Lord there's only one response you don't debate you don't argue you don't hesitate that very day you say yes to God remember this is no longer Abram exalted father he's exalted father no more He serves the exalted father. This is Abraham. And because of his obedience to God, God would be faithful to him and he would become a father of many. At 99, Abraham obeyed God and was circumcised. Question tonight, brothers and sisters, is do you bear the marks of a circumcised life? Not the circumcision of the flesh, which kills, but the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God, which comes through genuine faith, repentance, and trust in Jesus Christ, which alone can save and change you and make you eternally useful to God Most High. Have you been born again? This is God's word, and let all who agree say amen.